The Doctor Who Audio Annual Disc 2 Dark Intruders From Doctor Who Annual 1973 A perfect splashdown, enthused Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart. A rather crude method of descent, but quite effective, conceded Doctor Who. Joe Grant stared, fascinated, at the television screen which had been rigged up on the deck of the American aircraft carrier, Pahontas. She and Doctor Who had been invited by the Brigadier to join the special unit detachment on board the ship, which was to pick up the capsule that had just splashed down in the Pacific. Those poor men must be simply exhausted after their journey from Mars, said Joe. No, oh, hardly exhausted, Miss Grant, said Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart. Tired, of course, but after all, they manage a fair amount of sleep in transit. Already the huge warship was throbbing from the thrust of engines that had been programmed full ahead. As the square bows knifed through the calm blue water, the watchers saw every stage of the return-home drama on the television screen. They saw frogmen drop from the circling helicopter and the inflatable collar being attached to the bobbing steel globe. They saw a life raft dropped and watched the frogmen tow it alongside the capsule. What they did not see was the two astronauts, Curly the American and Derman the Englishman, lying stiff and silent upon their reclining seats. Neither of the men moved a muscle. Occasionally, Curly, the commander, answered the voices from mission control that crackled over the radio link, but his lips moved in a purely mechanical way, and his eyes were as dead as the space through which they had travelled on their dark journey. It was not until the frogmen were preparing to unbolt the hatch that the astronauts came to life. It began with a faint, faraway hum, like that of a mosquito. The miniature alarm note rose in pitch and volume until it filled the small cabin and brought a jocular remark from Mission Control. Hey, fellas. What's wrong with your radio, huh? You brought gremlins back with you? The piercing hum began to fade, and as it did, a change came over the two men. Colour filled their cheeks, and movement returned to their limbs. It was as if their hearts had resumed beating, and blood was once more coursing through their veins. By the time the frogman swung back the hatch and put his head inside to say, "'Welcome home!' the strange hum had ceased, and Curly and Derman raised their hands in salute and grinned back. The Pahontas was heading for Hawaii after picking up the space capsule. On deck, Joe was content to bask in the tropical sunlight. Through her dark glasses, she watched with amusement as Doctor Who and the Brigadier prowled restlessly up and down the deck. She knew they were impatient to talk to the returned astronauts, but tight security kept them isolated. "'How long does this interrogation continue?' asked the Doctor testily. "'Well, they have reports to make to the top men in each department of the project,' replied the Brigadier. He glanced at his watch and nodded. "'Ah, yes, by now Dr. Hillstrom will have finished talking to the men,' he said. "'He's the biology expert. "'I know him well. 
Shall we go and talk to him? He could tell us what kind of shape Curly and Derman are in. I suppose so, agreed Doctor Who. Though I dislike getting information second-hand. They set off to find the biologist, and Joe went with them. They were told that he had gone below to his cabin and were given a pass to show to the guard on duty in that corridor. The brigadier went first down the stairs and led the way to the corridor. As he approached, he saw that the guard was leaning with his back against the wall and his head slumped on his chest as if taking a nap. <clears throat> the officer cleared his throat loudly, hoping to arouse the sleeping guard and save embarrassment. But the man slept on. Excuse me, Private. Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart reached out a hand and tapped the man on the shoulder. Slowly, the other keeled over and slid to the ground. Good heavens, must be ill, gasped the brigadier. Doctor Who bent over the crumpled figure. Strange, he murmured. Joe, who had stepped past them, gave a low exclamation and pointed to a partly open cabin door. Look, it's Dr. Hillstrom's room. She followed the brigadier inside as he pushed open the door. The sight of the grey-haired biologist lying stretched out on his back on the floor brought the unit chief snapping into action. Stay with him, doctor, he rapped, striding to the door. Do what you can for him. I'm going to alert the authorities. With Joe's help, Doctor Who managed to lift the unconscious biologist to the settee. Then he leaned over him, checking his breathing and pulse and lifting his eyelids. Is he drugged? asked Joe. The scientist straightened up and shook his head. He's in the same state as the guard outside, Joe. A state of insensibility, but quite temporary and harmless, induced by... He broke off, frowning in deep thought. Induced by what? urged Joe. Doctor Who turned as he heard the sound of footsteps hurrying towards the cabin and the brisk voices of men accustomed to giving orders. He went to meet Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart in the corridor. Dr. Hillstrom will be all right, he assured him, but there's something important I'd like you to arrange for me, Brigadier. I want to have a look round inside the capsule. The Brigadier's eyes narrowed in surprise and might have questioned this request had it not been for the look in the scientist's eyes. The Brigadier had come to recognise that look and the curt requests that sounded like commands as signs that he was on a hunt for the truth that brooked no delay. "'I'll see what I can do, Doctor. Come along,' said the Brigadier. They walked along the upper deck to the bay in which the capsule was being minutely examined. But even the soldier's brisk stride could not keep pace with the impatient doctor. His long stride took him ahead of the others. The brigadier dropped back a pace so that Joe could catch up with him. Whew, he's on the warpath now, all right, she panted. What did he find out then? queried her escort. She answered with a helpless shrug. Does he ever tell anyone till he's sure? she sighed. He said something about a state of insensibility induced by something. He didn't say what. No ideas, then, frowned the brigadier. None, Joe admitted. Although I noticed him examining a couple of faint marks, one on each side of Dr. Hillstrom's temples. 
Doctor Who had sighted the capsule now and was heading for it like a hound scenting its prey. He was stopped abruptly by armed security guards, and it was some time before the brigadier, following closely on his heels, could convince the officials of the importance of their mission. Even so, the doctor was only allowed inside the capsule accompanied by white-coated scientists who had been examining the spacecraft. They had apparently heard something about Doctor Who, for they watched him with a mixture of covert curiosity and amusement as he went down on his hands and knees. Joe found it easy to guess what their stares meant. Must be a bit crazy, this guy. What's he sweeping up particles of dust for? What's he muttering about? A vibro-bank? Oh, well, he was always saying weird things, according to reports. What was it he was babbling about when they first found him unconscious outside that telephone box? His new face? Plum crazy. Still, he must be mighty important for the unit chief to want him here so urgently. The dandified figure came triumphantly from the capsule with a swirl of his cloak. He held up an envelope for the brigadier and Joe to see. I believe the answer to our problem is in these dust particles, he announced. Once more, he set off at top speed. The others hurried to catch up. Now, how can that planet dust have anything to do with finding the guard and Dr. Hillstrom unconscious? demanded Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart. Quite a lot, if my suspicions are correct, said the doctor. But first we're going to my quarters. I want to check the reaction of this planet dust with my vibrobank. Joe, I shall need your help. She nodded absently. She was caught by the romantic splendour of the tropical sunset. But it only lasted for a little while, and the blazing orb sank rapidly from her sight. They descended a companionway to the deck on which Doctor Who had his cabin. It was already deep in shadow. As they approached the cabin door, a deeper shadow suddenly detached itself from the others. The brigadier uttered a quick cry. Hey, stop there! But the figure that had just emerged from the cabin now abandoned the shadows and was seen to be fleeing headlong. The doctor was after him in a flash, but the other was too quick. As he sped out of sight, he dropped something which slid with a metallic clatter towards the pursuers. Doctor Who bent to pick it up. He stood examining it and muttering his fury as the others joined him. My vibro-bank, he fumed. He was trying to steal it. The brigadier looked worried. This is getting serious, he said. What's it all about, Doctor? Is there an enemy agent on the carrier? The other grunted as he examined his unique instrument. Then, satisfied that it was undamaged, he replied... I may have a theory to offer you in a moment. Let's go to my cabin. A few minutes later, he had set up the vibro-bank and was making some delicate adjustments. Then, taking the envelope from his pocket, he shook the planet dust onto a glass tray under the laser lens. He bent over the controls and his fingers moved expertly. What on earth... Is that noise coming from the dust? Joe wanted to know. It was a faint, faraway hum, like that of a mosquito. The doctor motioned his companions away. He bent closer over his vibro-bank. 
the note rose in pitch and volume until it filled the small cabin. Joe covered her ears. Suddenly, the noise died away as Dr. Who switched off. There was a grim look on his face as he turned towards the brigadier. I was right, he murmured. What is it, doctor? demanded the soldier. That dust comes from the planet Minos, he replied. Joe Grant stared. But they only went to Mars, didn't they? she said, puzzled. Of course they did, snapped Lethbridge Stewart. Doctor Who nodded. So the only explanation is that Curly and Derman picked up the dust while they were exploring. You mean the dust was brought by someone from this planet Minos? quizzed Joe. Precisely. In fact, I suspect that a scout ship from there was already on Mars, waiting for the Earthmen to arrive. And if that's right, then we're in trouble, declared the doctor. The brigadier frowned. What do you mean, doctor? The Minoans are old enemies of mine, came the answer. They are creatures of ruthless ambition, cold and calculating and highly developed in their achievements. Now look here. Get down to brass tacks, Doctor, urged his companion. Are you perhaps inferring that some of these creatures, these Minoans, travelled back to Earth with the spacemen? Not with them, in them, came the astonishing reply. Joe was the first to recover. You mean Curly and Derman aren't... She floundered, leaving the rest of her question unspoken. The scientist sighed. He regarded his companions with tolerance, like a schoolmaster surveying a couple of dull pupils. I'm afraid it's very difficult to understand. You see, the Minoans are creatures of rather unstable molecular makeup, and they have perfected a method of um, infiltrating other objects. The brigadier stared with dawning realization in his eyes. You think Curly and Derman were infiltrated? Doctor Who nodded. Quite so, Brigadier. In short, I suspect that Curly and Derman were the instruments of the attack on the guard and Dr. Hillstrom, and the attempt to steal my vibrobank. I believe the Minoans must have heard my name mentioned on board the carrier and realized that I might divulge their secret. Lethbridge Stewart took off his army hat and smoothed his hair with a gesture of bewilderment. This... This takes a bit of believing, he admitted. Why would they attack Dr. Hillstrom? The other shrugged. For his brain, he said simply. His brain? The other two echoed his words. The Minoans are great brain stealers, declared Dr. Who. Two things made me suspect it. First, the state of insensibility that Dr. Hillstrom was in. It's a hypnotic technique I've seen them use before. They use it so that they can attach tiny terminals here and here. He pointed to each side of his temples. Joe gave a start. Dr. Hillstrom had marks like that, she exclaimed. The doctor nodded. The terminals are attached to a tiny machine that scans the mind and transmits brain patterns, recorded memories and knowledge. Transmits? The brigadier seized on the word. You mean the Minoans have picked Dr. Hillstrom's brain without him knowing it, and have sent the information somewhere? 
probably to a Minoan ship in orbit round the Earth, admitted the scientist. They probably also plan to use Curly and Derman to plunder the brains of other top scientists. Jo snapped her fingers. Of course, it's an ideal setup, she admitted. The astronauts are surrounded by top scientists right now, and when they start their tour of the world capitals, they'll have immediate access to every top mind. Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart slapped his uniform trousers impatiently. The point is, how do we prove it's happening? It was Joe who answered. Don't you remember me telling you about the marks on Dr. Hillstrom's temples? Yes, but that doesn't actually prove anything, does it? demanded the brigadier. We'd need to catch them red-handed. The doctor began to lock his vibro-bank in a cupboard. I think I know how we could do that, brigadier. I believe you said that Dr. de Bassio, the mineralogist, has been the last to interview Curly and Derman? That's right, admitted the soldier. Good, the scientist looked pleased. Then I propose that you arrange for me to exchange cabins with him tonight. I shall pretend to be de Bassio, and I shall hope to be the next victim of the Minoan brain-picking. In the darkness of de Bassio's cabin later that night, Doctor Who lay on the bed and occupied himself by thinking ahead to the time when he could once more travel through time and space in the TARDIS. When the clock beside the bed stopped ticking, he knew the Minoans had entered. He closed his eyes and breathed loudly to simulate sleep. At the same time, he steeled his mind against the hissing in his ear. His senses were dulled. He felt heavy with sleep. But still he fought the mesmeric Minoan technique. There was a pause after the hissing had ceased. Then he felt the faint pressure of the metal contacts against his temples. The humming was faint and far away within his brain at first. As it increased in pitch and volume, he summoned all his highly trained mental powers to resist. The penetrating noise seemed to be tearing at his brain. But he not only resisted, he attacked. It seemed that his head would burst with the strain. The note was a banshee howl now, a howl of frustration. Unable to bear it any longer, the scientist sat up and put his hands to his head. In the darkened cabin, he glimpsed two figures writhing on the floor. A cry burst from his lips, and at the sound, the howl was gone. Exhausted but triumphant, Doctor Who swung his legs to the floor. As he did so, the door burst open and the Brigadier and Joe burst in, switching on the light. They stared in astonishment at Curly and Derman, sprawled on the cabin floor. So it was them, the Brigadier burst out. Doctor Who went on his knees to examine the prostrate figures. Not Curly or Derman, he said, nodding his satisfaction. It was the Minoans. But thanks to the little battle of willpower I've just been through, the intruders seem to have retreated. Joe gasped with relief. You mean these two are themselves again, Doctor? He rose to his feet. They'll be all right, 
he said. They won't recall anything of their nightmare. He paused, rubbed his brow wearily and added, But I shall, and so will the Minoans. I'm afraid they'll never forgive me for upsetting their plans. 